Hey everyone, and welcome to Pause Points Podcast Reviews, Star Trek Beyond. Beyond. Today, as always, I am joined by Joe. Hello. And we have a very special guest today who knows a lot about Star Trek, probably more than Joe and I combined. Uh, I know him from Disney. It's my friend Mike. Hey everyone, how's it going? What's going on, Mike? Uh, he looks like oh. he's actually on location, uh, reporting from the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, w- what's going on in this room that you're in right now? Um, this is called a room to uh, get all of the Star Trek stuff I had throughout our house into one consolidated area to make my wife happy. Um, <laughs> but it actually turned out pretty well, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. It's it's definitely my favorite room in the house. Yeah, so I, I see a poster in the background. I see this awesome... You tell me about earlier some screensaver or something on your on your TV screen from Next Generation. What's what is that again? Oh, it's the the Elcar's computer system that uh, they had on Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's just my my desktop that I have on my monitor behind me. It's pretty sweet. And I saw the Star Trek Beyond cup that you're currently drinking out of right now. And yep. his shirt is an Enterprise. So. Oh yeah, I didn't even catch that. So <laughs> awesome. It's like the highlights. You remember the highlights? Find the hidden pictures thing. It's like. Find the hidden Star Trek references in in this picture here. <laughs> yeah, I, I found quite a few that I was very happy with. Nice, <laughs> good, nice. good. So, Mike, you are a self-proclaimed Star Trek aficionado. I am more the Star Wars side. Joe's a little bit of both. I'm kind of in between. Um, My so, dad was a tell us a little bit about Star Trek and why you love it so much. Um, I've been watching Star Trek probably for 25 years now because I started uh, when they had the 25th anniversary celebration. Uh, back in 91, and here we are at the 50th anniversary. Um, I started watching it just because wow, it really? has a great message of hope for humanity for the future. It's got a very positive view of the future where sometimes science fiction can go a little bit on the, the dark side or to the dystopian side, but Star Trek's always kind of been that shining beacon of hope that says that, you know, even though things might be hard now, uh, as humanity, we're going to get through everything and uh, come out on the other end just with a fantastic life and a great future ahead of us. That's a really good point. And and me and Faith were actually talking about this. I'm not going to get into it, but in the future on another podcast, I'm going to get into my thoughts on the the movie that came out about a year ago at this point, Tomorrowland. Not very critically well received or anything like that, but that movie kind of talks on that point. That movie's message is on that point. I saw a Facebook post that came out around the time that movie came out and it was getting panned. It basically had two pictures, and it said, the future is a child of the 80s saw it, and it was like Jetsons-like, you know, it was like all futuristic, and something you would you would see, at like 80s Epcot or something like that, and the, the second picture underneath was like, the future as children see it today, and it was all dystopian, zombies, apocalyptic, like, and it's a really sad point, and it's true, but... That's one of the things that I think separates Star Wars and Star Trek more than anything else is I always loved that in the world of Star Trek, everything is kind of like everyone's working towards a common goal, a common purpose. You know, interstellar travel unites the world and and there's there's no real peace or murder or, or theft. Everyone just kind there of... There is peace, but no... Well, yeah, there's peace, no murder, no theft. <laughs> but everyone's kind of united. And I don't... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no like really like monetary system on Earth. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's good, too, because it also gives the, the message that, you know, even though we do have this great future ahead of us, you know, we're going to go through some tough times. Definitely in the, the Star Trek timeline, you know, humanity was almost wiped out by World War Three, and then right. uh, it took a, a scientist creating warp drive and meeting the Vulcans to kind of turn things around. But it just goes to show that, you know, everyone working together towards that common goal, just like you said, 
is going to lead to great things. And it's just a, like I said, just a great message of hope in a time where we could probably use a little bit of that right now. Absolutely. And that scientist was Zephram Cochran, I believe. That is correct. You're gonna, you're gonna find, you're gonna find out. I'm kind of a ten points to Joe. Yeah, (laughs) ten points Gryffindor. Uh, You're gonna find out that I'm kind of an ashamed closet Star Trek nerd. Um, I'm gonna find this. Yeah, because I haven't even really told Faith this, but Star Trek is very inclusive, so we welcome you. Yeah, well, she is big into Star Wars, as everyone who listens to this podcast and hears her talk about it every five minutes knows. Um, But me. I am a Star Trek nerd, not by choice, but more through osmosis, because my dad was a full-on Trekkie. He owned the entire series of the original Star Trek when it was out on VHS. Oh, wow. So he had like 200 tapes in his closet, and he owned every single one of them. It was one of those, I think it was one of those Time Life offers where they... (laughs) You know, they, you got them every couple months. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was Columbia House, actually. Oh, yeah, there, yeah, there you go. There you go. But, I mean, he would be blown away if he was still alive today and saw everything on, you know, three Blu-rays in high definition. But, no, I, I, I pretty much, it was an event when The Next Generation came on or Deep Space Nine came out or Voyager. So... I'm kind of ashamed of it, but I, I know way too much knowledge about Star Don't Trek. Don't be ashamed. Embrace it. And it's like comfort food for me now sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about the movie. So we want to give a quick review, and then we'll get into some spoilers of it. So I thought it was fun. Having watched the other two, I think that J.J. Abrams really set the tone for this universe, and I think that the movie took off really well from there. I had some problems with the camera work a little bit, um, and it was, it felt very dark at times and I couldn't tell what was going on, but mm-hmm. overall the movie, the story, I really liked, um, the twist at the end and kind of talking about how there is peace and we've eradicated war and everything. It kind of tied really well into that. Um, I thought so in my, I, my opinion, I thought it was a pretty fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, here's the thing. It, it definitely wasn't a JJ Abrams movie. No. And I'm going to really want to hear Mike's opinion on this because I know the second Star Trek movie, Into Darkness, was critically panned. There was a lot of fans that put some hate down on it. And granted, it had a very corny, you know, spoilers at this point in time, a through line with the whole con backstory. But, you know, I enjoyed it. I thought it was not as good as the first one, but not too far off. It was fun. Um now, this one, I, I would say I, I think I liked it just as much, but from what I'm understanding, from what I'm feeling on, on the Twitterverse and the review scales that are coming out, everyone's loving Star Trek Beyond, I mean, unanimously, and I actually probably had more problems with this movie than I did the last two, and we'll we'll get into that in the spoilers, but not enough to say it wasn't a great movie. So if you had to rank them, the three new movies, what would be the order? The first one. And then? Honestly, it might be a tie between two and three. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So... All right, Mike, what are your thoughts? Um, for me, I thought Star Trek Beyond was fantastic. Um, I, How many I think times the biggest have you compliment it? that I've heard about this movie so far is that it feels like an original series episode. Yes. Which, for me, as a Star Trek fan who especially loves the original series as much as I do, having it take place in the timeline, you know, of the, in the third, you know, the third year of the five-year mission, which would have been season three of the original series, mm-hmm. um, just having that feel and that tone for me, puts this on equal footing with the Star Trek 2009, uh, the first of the reboots. Okay. I know we're going to talk spoilers in a little bit, but for me, uh, Star Trek in the Darkness, oh, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it because there are certain parts of it that I absolutely love. 
But the last 30 minutes of that movie, I have a lot of issues with <laughs> right. for various reasons. But overall, Star Trek Beyond, I think, is great. I know exactly what you're talking about with the camera work, especially on the, the kind of the last few scenes on the Enterprise. It was pretty dark and kind of hard to see what was going on. I think I've seen it in a couple of different theaters now. So some were better than others. But overall, it still was a little dark. It was very shaky. Um, as far as the writing goes, um, I know... Uh, Simon Pegg and uh, Doug Jung, who uh, I think it was Doug Jung, co-wrote with Simon Pegg, just did a great job just capturing uh, the essence of all the characters and making sure that all of the characters got paired up well and had a great character development. Because yeah. that's one of the big things that Star Trek is about, is developing those characters, developing those relationships. Um, and it just hit it completely out of the park yeah. with this. They did excel there, definitely. How many times have you seen it now? Uh, I saw it four times so far opening weekend. Nice. We barely got to see it opening weekend, but we did get to see it. Um, it was kind of funny. We got there about five minutes late, and it was. I know something, nothing really important had happened yet, but we were we watching the movie, and Joe's like, "I think we can sneak into another one and catch it as soon as we get out of here." So we like raced to another theater to catch the beginning, and it made a little bit more sense with that. But I'm glad we got to see the whole thing. It's actually when we get to talking about spoilers, it's actually one of my issues with the movie. Oh, okay. I almost wish I hadn't seen the first three minutes. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's it's funny that you say it. It it is very much like an original. So, are you saying that it's more like an original TV series or one of the original movies? One of the original series TV shows. Okay, but you're not comparing it to the the characters and their relationship with one another, and just how you know, even though they were in separate parts of the storyline and and different parts of the planet and whatnot, Mm -hmm. you know, they were all working together towards that common goal. And even though they were completely separate, they were all working together and they all had their spots to contribute to the ultimate goal or the ultimate. uh, I I, I know what you're saying, because normally you see Spock and Kirk together in the past two movies. It's kind of been that duo. And it's really nice to see Spock and Bones and then Kirk and Chekhov kind of doing their own thing. It, it yeah. was nice to see different relationships there. Yeah, and so. and and I think I think ultimately, this movie had a really hard time getting its message out there. What type of movie it was going to be? Um, yeah, I, with the trailers. That I think first trailer was, I felt was a misstep. I think this was yeah. a creative battle between the people making the film and Paramount marketing the film, because right around the time they announced this and they started making this. Guardians of the Galaxy started doing gangbusters. And everyone was afraid, oh gosh, Justin Lin, he's fast and furious. He's going to make it fast and furious in space. And they're going to make it all funny and and hokey. And they're going to try to be Guardians of the... I think that was the biggest concern. And that concern was definitely amplified by the first trailer. Um, As we talked about on a few episodes on the podcast, Paramount held a... Uh, you know, kind of a love us again event <laughs> and to, to reinvigorate the interest and beyond. And they, they succeeded in doing that. But I don't even think now seeing the movie that that did it justice. I think it was even better than the second trailer. Although the concerns that, that stemmed from the whole Guardians of the Galaxy comparison in the first trailer, I think were in there, but they were minimal. Yeah. So. Well, I really, I really enjoy it. Like I said, I would rank them the original reboot and then this one would be very close together. I don't feel like Star Trek Into Darkness was memorable. I I just don't remember what happened 
anything. It's a J.J. Abrams it, movie. I haven't seen one of his movies that I didn't like. So yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was fun, fun at least the visual, but at the story, I just it didn't really stick in my mind very very well. But this one, I did think it was fun. I liked that it was a little corny at, at times and yeah. some fun little jokes, and I enjoyed that it pretty much took place on an alien planet too. Whereas the last two, I don't think we got as much on alien planets as we did on this one. So. Right. If we if we had to score this thing on on a ten point scale, what would we give it? What would you give it? Because I'm always nice on the 10 points. I mean, so I'm not re- going to. Yeah, review scores are kind of, I guess, dumb to some extent. And some people are like, oh, why do you do review scores? But, you know, whatever. We're doing okay, it. Okay, right Mike, now. why don't you start? What would yeah. you rate it? From, uh, out of the 10, I would probably give it a solid 9.5. Okay. Um, I was a. But of course, I, I tend to view Star Trek in a little bit of a different prism. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, overall, you know, this was fantastic. I think a great judge for me of. How good is this movie? Is okay. I'm going to have my own thoughts on it, but how do how does someone who doesn't follow it as closely as probably I do feel about it? And when I saw it with my wife on Saturday, when the movie was done, the first words out of her mouth were, "What time is the next showing? I want to see." This really? Again. Oh, that's cool. So wow. getting that kind of a reaction from someone who who does watch Star Trek, you know, for as far as next generation goes, but didn't really have much knowledge of the original series, that's a I think a huge compliment. So she watches Star. She's a Star Trek fan as well. She she watches Next Generation um, and did when you know she was growing up and she's gone to see all the the movies with me but does not doesn't like it nearly as much as I do. I'm so so you'd give this a nine point five. So in comparison with the rebooted series, what would you give the other ones? Just for a comparison's sake, I would probably put the original reboot probably. Like I said, it's on the original reboot's on equal footing with Beyond with me, so it's probably getting a good nine point five from me. Okay. Star Trek Into Darkness, um, I'm probably going to give maybe a six. Ooh. And that's, yeah, and that's, like I said, well, when we get into the spoiler section, we can talk about why I have that, but that's... I mean, at this point in time, you can spoil Into Darkness. I think okay. everyone understands. So, it's a three-year-old movie at this point, so... Yeah, my, my issue, I, yeah, it's been out for a while, but my issue with Into Darkness was a couple things. Number one, the uh, I wasn't really a fan of how they kind of hit, made the con thing a mystery, and when... Word got out that Khan's going to be the villain. People were fine with that, but then you know JJ and all them uh, with his with Bad Robot, they like to do the whole secrecy with their stories, and they kept saying, "Oh, he's not Khan; he's John Harrison." And sure enough, yes, he was John Harrison, but guess what? He was also Khan. So, kind of hiding that from people who were, you know, expecting it and uh, kind of figured it out wasn't really the best move on their part. And I think even he said, you know, later that that probably wasn't a good move. Oh yeah, marketing wise on their part. My other big issue with it is, aside from the fact that the Enterprise is apparently a submarine at the beginning of the <laughs> yeah. movie, um, yeah, I don't, that part was just a little too nutty for me. The last 30 minutes tries so hard to be Star Trek, the end of Star Trek II, the Rapicon, that it just completely took me out of it, and I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't think it worked that well, because Star Trek II, when that came out, you had three, you know, three years of, a, of the original series episodes another movie in front of it. So you've got a good, you know, 15 years or so of these characters being out there, you know, even though they weren't, you know, they had about a 10 year gap between the end of the series and the uh, first film, you had this weight behind it that made, you know, the death of Spock that much more powerful. Right. And when Kirk went down to try to fix the warp core and in the darkness, I kind of had an idea that's where they were going, but I wasn't exactly sure how close they were going to hit it when they started literally quoting lines from Star Trek two. Uh, yeah. cause when, right. when, 
when you hear Scotty say, you know, you better get down here, you better hurry. I'm like, okay, that's what McCoy said in Star Trek 2. This is, this is now a fan film. Mm-hmm. I paid to see a fan film, and I, I did not care for that at all. Yeah, I, I think his intentions were good there, but it was a little too much of fan service, and it's kind of hard to say nowadays there, there's too much fan service, but I think, it, I mean, he's he's very admittedly said that he was only a producer on the first film, and then, you know, after he got part of the way through pre-production, he said, okay, this is such an awesome movie, I want to direct it, and I think by the time the second movie rolled around, he's always said he was a Star Wars boy growing up more than Star Trek, and he was kind of leaning on um, Roberto Orsi and... and um, Kurtzman, Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman, yeah, for the the nitty gritty details. I I think that that kind of became extremely evident that it was more a fan service at that point in time, and they were borrowing a little too heavily from the past rather than making something new in their own, like they did in the first movie. So, yeah, and I think we're gonna talk at the very end a little bit about Star Trek Discovery. So we'll put a timestamp on there to let you know when to skip to if you haven't seen the movie yet. Is that the new? Is that the new series name? Yes. Discovery. Is it, is it named Discovery? Yeah. Is that the ship name? It's both the ship and the and the show are named Discovery. Oh, okay. cool. Okay. So we'll get into that a little bit yeah. later, but we'll put a timestamp on. All right. So let's go ahead and get into spoilers because I think we've kind of wrapped up our thoughts on that movie. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us what you thought about that first five minutes? You said you had issues with that. My thoughts were that you know we came in right as he was walking out of the negotiations with that race, and all we saw was his ripped shirt. Um, and that, you know, I, I lost a shirt again or whatever he says, that's when we came into the movie. And from there on out, it was, you know, him sitting down with bones, having a drink, you know, and it, and it was very pretty, pretty much, you know, very straightforward played straight from there on out. Um, I really didn't have any problems with the whole movie. I didn't think there were any hokey out of place, trying to be guardians of the galaxy, like moments that people were concerned about. Save for um, it's funny everyone was concerned about the motorcycle thing. I think that was one of the coolest <laughs> coolest scenes yeah. actually. Um, the the hokiest part for me was what you mentioned earlier, which we'll go ahead and edit out. Was the beating the swarm of super advanced ships by playing the Beastie Boys? I thought that was a little ridiculous. Yeah, and and something they would have done in something like Guardians of the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. but. Until we went back out, went into the other theater, watched the first five minutes. I saw the the whole negotiations with the aliens that ended up being little and swarming them. I thought, man, that's that's right out of something that that Marvel would use, and I can see that being in the next Guardians movie. And um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's out of place when you look at it in comparison to something like that. Mike, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but I can't really think of any comparisons in any of the series that where it where it got that hokey or, or you know well what about the little puff thingies well that's true i guess oh, the trouble yeah yeah the trouble with tribbles, the puff right? thingies yes what a, you know <laughs> I, I am not going to be very detailed this. you're lucky i'm getting no i love this this is correct. great this is great I, I will say that is the one thing that upset my wife was in the first two star trek movies they had tribbles and in this one there were no tribbles so she was a little upset by that well the tribbles saved kirk's life in the second movie where was their That's tribbles true. in the first one uh he was in a cage or there was a tribble in the cage behind scotty when they first met him on the delta vega really yeah if you go back there's a little bird oh, yeah, cage on, the, on the 
desk behind him, and it's you hear the triple purring, and it's moving in the back. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But do you get, do you get what I'm saying? How is it, it was very that 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 and the destroying the spaceships with the VC boys were my only really two big issues. I think it. if they had had the it's technology hokey. that we have today, they probably would have more of that in the original series. But it's hard to do a little animated thing back in the '60s, whereas you could maybe do like an audio animatronic or something. But I feel like it felt totally in place in this movie. I think I think yeah. when he makes a comparison with the triples, I can see that. But it felt for me, it felt out of place and it felt hokey. But okay. personally, I didn't think it felt out of place to me. Um, it kind of just the way Kirk was reacting to the whole situation when he was, you know, you could you could tell he was trying desperately to negotiate and just get this point across. Like, no, this is a this is a symbol of peace and just the frustration on his face of you know we've been out here for so long, we're trying to do all this stuff, but I'm just. I'm kind of over it at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I can see where you're coming from, where you would think it was kind of kind of cheesy and everything, but I kind of thought it was hysterical um, because kind of like they said, you know, even though the original series wasn't doing stuff like that back then, you know, if they had kind of today's technology, who knows what they could have done. But I, I don't think they probably would have done something like that back then just because uh, it was a little silly even for the 60s. Um, yeah. But I think in the, in the the with the two movies behind it and the context of a modern film, I thought it worked. Yeah, yeah, but what what can you think of in the last two movies that was similar to that? Because that that's that's that was my problem. Because in in the realm of the new series, the new trilogy, it felt out of place compared to what was in the past. I movies. think Scotty's sidekick is kind of a hokey character. Yeah, especially in the first movie. Yeah, but not not to that extent. I don't think. But you this know was I, this was almost like slapstick. Like. What I actually really <laughs> liked about this one is the character development and the costuming and the the different races. I felt like the first one was so JJ, especially the creature on Delta Vega. Is that it? Um, The snow creatures, all the snow creatures completely look like something JJ Abrams would have. Yeah. But this one, yeah, I really, yeah, it looked just like (laughs) this Cloverfield monster, but this one, I felt like they just did a really nice job with all the practical makeup effects on all of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, They really did that. That person made me happy to see all of those different aliens on the ship uh, because it's something that, you know, you'd see an alien here or there in the other previous movies, but I know they went out of their way. In fact, I think uh, I saw an interview with Justin Lin saying that he intentionally wanted to have 50 different aliens in this movie for the 50 years of Star Trek. And you can really tell on the bridge of the Enterprise that, yes, this is a spaceship that's been out in deep space and has just people from all sorts of different planets. I I thought the girl who hid the thing in her head tentacles was pretty cool. I thought that that was neat. That was neat. Yeah. Alien. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The fa- <laughs> the face hugger in the back of her head. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that was that was my 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 big issue was really the beginning, and then like I said, I mean, we've already mentioned it several times at this point. I know we're gonna skip around a little bit, but the, blowing up all of the ships by playing the BC Boys, I I get the explanation behind it that that's how they beat the big bad in like a hundred year old spaceship was just kind of like really I was kind of like. Okay. Well, I, they didn't have any advanced weaponry, so what no, else they were didn't. They do? But that was another thing where I where I said I can see this happening in, in yeah. Guardians, but especially the choice of song. And... Yeah, it seems like a stretch for Star Trek. Now you know why they chose that song, right? Yes. Why, Faith? Why? Because it was in the first reboot movie when he was riding his motorcycle. His brother's car. Right? His brother's car. Yeah. Or uncle's car. Whoever. When it was. he went off the. He drove he it off the, the cliff. Yeah. Yes, I remember. Good job. That. Good job. All right. <laughs> Testing you here. Hello. You noob. <laughs> So what did you think yeah, about I, that part? I agree. The Beastie Boys piece there was a little, little on the we're stretching it now side. Yeah. Um. I I didn't think it was too bad up until the point where uh the Yorktown when they 
when they said, we've got the frequency to broadcast and uh, Greg, Greg Grunberg starts screaming broadcast, broadcast. And they, mm-hmm. and they basically, it looks like there's like this giant wall of flames coming out and yeah. just destroying them <laughs> just with a kind of yeah. going on. I'm like, okay, you're timing this a little too cutely now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought it was fun and it was cool, but again, like a little bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was a bummer that, one of the moments that was probably the biggest stretch in the film was where they finally really defeated the the big bad, you know, to you know, his alien horde. But I really, I really do think that if those are the only two things I can really point out as an issue with the movie, it's it's still a great movie. I so. felt like the weaponry they had was amazing. I thought the scene like where what? it attacked the 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 hive. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When it attacked the Enterprise. That was crazy. I loved that. Yeah. And I also loved how when the pods penetrated the Enterprise, like they opened and like people could come come out. Um, I thought that was really a cool effect. And it's hard to fight something like that. And it's funny because it reminded me almost of the weapon in the 2009 movie um, when we had the Romulans ship. When, mm-hmm. when they have actual particles attacking the enterprise i don't think it's very effective whereas like the lasers don't really do a good job with that i feel like they need some weapons that aren't lasers okay yeah and i need i need to bring this up to our star trek aficionado shields only protect against energy weapons but physical weapons can pass through correct that's why the romulans weapons from the future could get through the obvious shields they had up and these weapons as well Honestly, I think it depends on who's writing it, <laughs> because sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It just yeah. depends on what, what we're doing and what we need to have happen. <laughs> yeah, that's always confused me with the new series, because I, I I was, you know, in the in the TV series, is always, you know, put up the shields. Oh, our shields are down to 20% or whatever. But in this movie, it, it seems like... In, I, don't, in, I don't think the shields do anything. Yeah, in one and three, so. the shields don't seem to do a darn thing. <laughs> and the only yeah, thing I can wrap my brain around is Our, our shield physical. harmonics have no effect, so they're just... They've got something in their ship that are just letting it plow right through like nothing. Right. What did you think about the Enterprise being completely destroyed? Ooh, um, yeah. Well, it seems to be the thing to do in third Star Trek movies now because they did it in Star Trek Three: uh, Search for Spock. They blew up the Enterprise, really? and here we are in you know a third reboot of the oh, original right, cast. Turn up, they blow up the Enterprise. Um, I I was okay with it, you know, just with all of the the trailers and the the commercials and everything. They they telegraphed it pretty hard that this was coming. Mm-hmm. So you knew it was going to happen. Yeah. You just didn't know how, basically, how brutal it was going to be. Um, yeah, was, just with them crazy. starting off completely, just obliterating the saucer, and then those two waves coming up and just basically buzzsawing the the warp nacelles off of uh, off the ship. I mean, it it did not mess around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even at one point when Cross said, you know, you know, cut its throat, man, he just they just Slice took the whole yeah. pieces or the two pieces right apart. Okay, I got to talk about that. All right, we're going to bring up like a super minutiae nerd moment here that, again, I'm ashamed I know this, but <laughs> I want to get your take on that. Because okay. at one point in time, after they cut the throat and he destroyed it, which was really kind of crazy and brutal, they said they couldn't control the saucer section until it detached from the rest of the ship. Right. So does that mean that... In normal space flight, that the saucer section could detach from the rest of the ship, all of the next generation. So, what do you I think have about heard that? Both on that, um, I, I've heard interviews where Gene Roddenberry wanted to do that in the original series, but just due to you know budget and all that kind of restraints, they weren't able to do it, and that's why he made it a big point to do it in next gen. Um, as far as the drawing power thing, 
I would imagine that computers in the 23rd century would be smart enough to know, hey, that thing's gone. I should probably draw power from somewhere else. But, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Because, because, and I think this stems from my dad got me a, like a poster futuristic uh, schematic layout of the next generation ship when I was a kid. And I studied that thing. So I, I noticed like the mechanical parts of the movie, but this thing could clearly go on like impulse speed or whatever it's called just yeah. on the saucer section. Cause the whole thing is they had to detach it to maneuver it. Right. So I, I, I wonder if they, they, they could drive them independently if, if need be. So it was just kind of cool. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, with the, you know, the thing with the, now that we're in the, as it's, Officially known now as the Kelvinverse. Uh, yeah, the Kelvin time. A lot of people are calling it the Jason, but the Kelvinverse. Um, and maybe that's one of the changes that they made because of the attack on the Kelvin was they wanted to have a way to, you know, if you got one half of your ship gone, save the other half. So maybe that was the change they made, but that's, that's, I also that's like, a possible explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I like how they added the Kelvin pods. Yeah. I that was a really cool, was really cool. element yeah. as well. And that definitely, I mean, I don't know if that ever happened in the old series or tv shows but that was really cool that they had an escape from the bridge and that would have been yeah. helpful on the yeah helmet. she leaned over it. i mean she was like I, I bet you they added that because of what happened to his dad and i was like wow good call that was it was a really cool that kind of stuff i think the movie did really well the best um but i i know that was a total total nerd discussion i can just see the uh, the little gift that your your buddy posted on our Twitter feed, nerd. the nerd, <laughs> the little Simpsons thing. I could see that in the background as we were having that whole discussion. But anyways, it was a very nerdy tangent. But all right, let's talk about the villain. So, what oh, did y'all oh, think yeah. about the villain? I don't remember his name or anything, but I thought it was a very effective villain, and I loved the twist in it. Yeah, it, I, I, I'll start off by saying I love Idris Elba. I think he's yes. a fantastic actor, and having him. In something like this was a huge, huge get. Um, I overall like this character. Um, I wish they would have done a little bit more kind of explaining. I mean, they did explain his motivations eventually, but um, I they said that crawl like they kept saying the crawl was going to be someone who challenged the Federation and everything that it stands for, which I don't think they really did in the movie. But that's just me. Um, mm-hmm. I like I said, I thought he was great. Um, he he presented a pretty, pretty good threat. Um, and just that whole mystery around him, especially with that twist in the end of him turning out to be, you know, Captain Edison and that he's over a hundred years old from the, from the enterprise, the, the Star Trek enterprise TV show series uh, timeline. Uh, for me as a Star Trek fan, I was kind of in shock that we were seeing an NX class ship uh, on the big screen and that we were dropping references to the Zindi and Romulan wars. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was just, kind of baffled that they were actually dropping that uh those kind of deep deep star trek cuts and references my only my only issue i had with the franklin uh his ship was they said it was the first earth ship to go warp four um and when they were saying you know when when it got lost it was a little for me i thought that was kind of odd because in the series enterprise enterprise the ship supposedly was built before this one and hit warp five but again, that's a complete, you know, nerd moment. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but I did think that was a little odd. The one thing I did like about the Franklin, though, was uh, its registry was NX-326. Uh, uh, and this is something I'm sure we'll talk about, too. But that was a uh, direct reference to Leonard Nimoy because that's actually Leonard Nimoy's birthday. Oh, okay. Oh, neat. Yeah. That was, there was yeah, I, I, I liked the Nimoy reference. We can talk about that mm-hmm. down the line. But I will say Crawl was his name, right? The, yeah. the villain, very 60s TV series villain name. 
Um, oh, yeah. But I was wondering for a long time why they really weren't promoting the fact that Idris Elba was in this. I don't think I realized that was even him until a good while after the first trailer came out. Oh, I couldn't tell it was him at all. I mean, he, even though I knew it was him, I, it, it just wasn't connecting. But I can understand now why they kept it semi under wraps that that was Idris Elba when they weren't promoting him. Mm-hmm. Because it, it made it all the more impactful a little bit when that big reveal came at the end. Which I can honestly say I didn't see coming. Um, I I knew something was up when he first um, the video right no when there were people upset the people were hanging upside down he was like drawing energy from them he changed yeah like he had a lot deeper um I don't know his head flattened out yeah yeah all of the smoothed them out as both like scales yeah yeah and all of the people had a slightly different look like all of his warriors. And so I feel like he drew from a lot of different races at different times. And just now that he's drawing from humans, I think there were two humans there, like he was getting more flattened out like a human head. So I knew, I felt like something was going on. And also in the video, I recognized a character from one of one of the TV shows that we watch in the video <laughs> on giveaway. the Franklin. And I was like, <laughs> he had like a little speaking part. So I knew that that one section was going to come back because they wouldn't have paid someone that has a speaking part. Um, that much to be in that yeah. little section if it didn't ma- make sense. That's hilarious. They showed his face like five times. I was like, "That we're gonna come back to that video. There's something going on <laughs> in that video." It's like it's like in a movie when they're trying to find the murderer in a crowd, and you've got a crowd full of people you don't know, and then in the corner there's Morgan Freeman. It's like, oh gosh, I wonder who it is. <laughs> yeah, or like, we were watching an episode of Bones last night, and we're like, oh, he looks like he's been in other TV shows. He must be the bad guy. So, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep things under wraps. Um, but yeah, I knew they were gonna come back to. I figured there was something tying them to but, the Franklin. But that was my biggest qualm going into the movie. I was like, okay, how is this? You know, the villain is something they kind of need to 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 correct, course correct from the last movie mm-hmm. and really kind of step it up. And I think the villain and the bad guys in general in this movie, we had no information about going in except they were bad. And they wanted to destroy everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was concerned about it going in, and it ended up being probably one of the coolest parts of the movie. You, you really didn't know their motivation yeah. Where did they forward. get their weapons from? So he, he was the captain on the Franklin, correct? He, he said it was the race right. that left it behind. And so I, how did he know about this super weapon? It was, uh, it was mining, that's, right? That's the one part I, I wish they would have done a better job explaining was, uh, number one, how you know this... Because they, they they had that captain's log where he said that they he found this technology on the sailing planet, um, and that he's able to prolong his life. But they didn't really explain how, and they also didn't explain that weapon really. I think at all, which was kind of one of my biggest issues with kind of how they dealt with crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they would have done more explaining what exactly it was, where it came from, how he how he knew about it. You know, just you know, not, not a lot, but just kind of giving us a little bit more because there really wasn't much there with that weapon. And and I think that weapon was, and I didn't mention this before, was one of my biggest problems with the, the little, um, the treatment in the beginning was that it was so hokey, but it included what was essentially the MacGuffin of this movie. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, a hokey moment set the stage for this item that was going to be the most important piece of the movie going forward. So that's another problem I have with that. But, but they, he did explain that it was part of an ancient weapon in right, the opening scene. Right. So, I mean, but, we yeah. didn't know that until we watched the beginning later. So well, I guess I was kind of confused. Were you questioning, like, the spaceships that they got, how that was left there? Do you remember what he said about that? 
What spaceship? The Franklin or no? The spaceships, the the, the bad guy spaceships. The the no, I don't remember that. Okay, so Idris Elba in his like captain's logs or whatever was talking about how they were marooned. The Federation wasn't answering them, but the aliens had left behind a technology that allowed them to, you know, live longer. And it was like these mining ships that they had left behind that they could, you know, it was advanced technology. He had said that at one point in time. Okay. So I just, I think what, what really is the biggest takeaway from this new trilogy is that clearly they need to stop making starships and just make all mining vessels because they're the most dangerous ships (laughs) in the galaxy because the first Romulan ship from the first movie was also like a a planet cracker or a mining vessel or something as well right that's a good point I hadn't thought about that (laughs) so those mining vessels man stay away from them (laughs) so so but I did I did like that I, I think his reveal was awesome and uh um Idris Elba, I think, was really, really good in the role. I, I, I'm still kind of shocked that he was in this. I'm, I'm with you on that. So, um, another thing I would like to talk about if we're done with this okay. is something else that I really loved about this movie, besides Idris Elba, was um, the Yorktown. The Yorktown, yeah. I think, was outstanting. It was, was amazing. Cool. It, rem- it reminded me of Elysium a little bit. Yeah. Um, just kind of in the visuals, but they kind of took that and blew it up like yeah. crazy. It just hurt my brain just to navigate around it. I was like, it, you know, because you got to think in so many different right. spaces. Because on Earth, you know, you're thinking, you know, north, south, east, west. But there you have to go up and down and like things yeah. are upside down. So it was crazy. I loved it. And that was another semi-hokey moment for me was the whole anti-gravity battle between him and Idris Elba. But it was still kind of cool. I thought it was cool getting on like the, the airwaves and, yeah. and riding those. Right. And I did think it was cool, but the Yorktown, I mean, Mike, what was your thoughts on Because I, I loved how they showed the life and, and people transported from one place to another. And... Yeah, I thought the Yorktown was great. Um, it, the, the design of it, I thought, was kind of like, uh, like when you look at it from the outside, kind of like Deep Space Nine a little bit, where they, mm-hmm. they had the kind of concentric rings that were all connected. But once you zoomed in, I thought it was, just, as Dr. McCoy said, kind of like a giant snow globe in space ready to break. <laughs> Um, just, just the way they kind of mess with your head with how, you know, the things were wrapping on top of one another and going, you know, over and under. And, uh, but it was just great to see, you know, a, a, basically a, a station like that out in deep space where you've got all these people from the Federation out there. Um, and then, of course, as a, as a Disney guy, it was good to see monorail still exist in the 23rd century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a quick question, um, Mike. Did you watch it in 3D? Yes. Okay. So we didn't watch. We specifically don't go see 3D if if we can. We try not to. That was one of the scenes that I had a problem visually when they went into the Yorktown. I felt like they went a little too fast, and the effects got very muddied um, as you were going. It just kind of felt like it just kind of blended together. I would have liked them to go just a little bit slower into it and have a little bit crisper visuals. And I think probably the 3D is why that wasn't so clear. Um, because they had to do the different layers. When well, it's probably working. worse in 3D. Well, it's, it was probably better in 3D, but you don't have to be as detailed when you're doing that effect. But when it's flattened into 2D, I think it kind of suffered a little well, bit. It's not like the transition happens from 3D to 2D. It's the other way around. I understand that, but I think I think it probably would have been a little bit more visually interesting in 3D. That I think element. it was probably just the way it was filmed. Justin Lin, Lin has his own, you know... Uh, 
director of photography and, and so on. It had a very, like, especially during the fights, it felt a lot like the first Hunger Games movie and the shaky cam effect. Like how it was they, very shaky. Yeah. Cam. So The it, part yeah. that was the worst for me was when Scotty was going into the Franklin and they, they didn't have any lights on. And I just felt yeah. like he was yeah. wandering around in the dark looking for a light switch. And I couldn't see, I couldn't tell anything that was happening there. Yeah. I think you were supposed to see some details, but there I couldn't see anything. I think that was just his stamp on on the photography. I mean, you got to think that whole monorail scene was all CG. Nothing, nothing about it was practical. So yeah. the the actual shot and the framing of the shot was all computer generated, anyways. Mm-hmm. So if it looked that way, it's because they made it that way. And I think they just did it to match his style of filmmaking more than yeah. anything else. So so I just want to talk a little bit more about some of the main characters. Um, so the the girl, what was her name? Jayla. 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 What did y'all think about her? And I thought she how was she cool. Was connected. I thought she was really cool. I, she I, was a great addition. Yeah. And do you think she's going to be in the next movie? I, I mean, she. Um, be I don't know character? because in, at the end of *In the Darkness*, we thought we were going to see Carol Marcus, and whoop, she's not there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I personally hope they keep Jayla around because I think as just a strong female lead character, you know, she, I think she actually had more to do than Uhura did, which, you know. As a Star Trek fan, it makes me a little bit sad, but man, Jayla was great. I loved, I loved her interactions with with the crew. I loved uh, how she was a great balance of just super brains and just you know I'm going to kick you in the face if you're coming after me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just had that great balance because you could tell she's been working on the Franklin for you know probably a good you know 20 30 years now and has not only you know fixed it up to where it's almost able to fly again, but has learned a complete alien language thanks to all the beats and shouting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought she was great. I, I, again, it was another point of contention with me. I, I thought she was going to be an area where I'd be concerned, uh, you know, that they were throwing in a new character. Again, I thought she was another point. They were trying to maybe mimic Gamora from Guardians, but mm-hmm. she ended up being awesome. A, a great addition. I loved and, her technology, like when she was doing that fight. Yeah, like, really replicating cool. Replicating herself or hologram. I don't know, know exactly what she was doing. And then also whatever that material was that they yeah. used at the end battle. And like, she's she a survivor. Cool, she had some cool tricks up her sleeve. Yeah, I love that. I love uh, Kirk's motorcycle pooping out the the solid cloud of whatever that was to protect them see that seemed very jj to me because it reminded me of that element in fringe the amber do you watch fringe i don't what's wrong go back to netflix watch it watch off this but it reminds me very much of the amber and how the gas turned into the solid well he's a producer i think he had a clear he he might have had a little something to do he had a clear hand in this between stuff like that and probably he pushed for the practical thing after coming off of star wars Mm -hmm. so you know and then just maybe talk about the main characters the the ship's crew um, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about how we like their interactions in this one. Did anybody, do you want to go in specifically? I really like how they kind of paired off. There were, there were basically four pairs throughout the the whole time on the alien planet. Yeah. So we had Spock and Bones. We had Ahura and Sulu. Um, we had Kirk and Chekhov. And then we had Scotty and Jayla. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those were kind of like the four pairings throughout. I think they did a great job of balancing all of them. I really enjoy the time we have with Bones and Spock together. One of the one of the things I love about the original series is just kind of like that almost like brotherly needling each other relationship that uh, Spock and McCoy have. Um, and they really just, they hit on it so well in this. Um, I I loved everything about it. Just just the, you know, the start of things where, I know this is probably a family-friendly podcast, so I can't exactly say what Spock and McCoy thought of uh, a certain 
reference that they made. Um, but just the way they would bounce off one another. Um, but then Gosh. when they thought they were going to die, just kind of seeing that, that respect that they had for one another. And I think Spock actually called him Leonard, which I think is the first time that's ever happened in any of the movies or the, yeah. oh, wow. or the TV show. Yeah. That stood out to me too, but I didn't, I didn't realize it yeah. was that. Well, I know that when we first watched the, the 2009 movie, Joe had mentioned it, the old series was always kind of like the three of them as the main character. So it was Spock, Bones and Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. Um, and I got that from the first movie, but into darkness, I felt like Bones was hardly in it at all. And I, I feel think like he, he did was too. such a throwaway character in that. And so I really like that they brought him back to be a lot more important in this movie. He actually did as well. He he sat down and did an interview with some news outlet. I forget who it was. I read the article this week. He said he almost didn't come back the, for the third one because he had nothing to do in the second one. Yeah. So he felt the same way. And Justin Lin, in the end, um, talked him into coming back and and he's glad he did so i'm glad i'm glad he did too i'll tell you as far as the character development goes i think that was probably one of the strongest points of the movie Uh, between the villains and the characters and the way they paired them up in in ways that didn't make any sense nothing about the character development or the writing in this movie made any sense whatsoever that it worked out so well when you have two super nerds and one ultra nerd in Roberta Orsi who was originally signed up to direct this movie writing the first two Star Trek movies and then you have Simon Pegg who's mainly known for his comedy and who's the other writer Mike uh Doug I think his name is Doug Jung Doug Jung uh, he was act- he was actually uh he played uh, Sulu's husband in the movie too oh okay oh, okay okay so the thing is like when you have those two elements coming together it makes no sense this movie seemed to have everything going against it and the biggest success of this movie i think was the writing and the character development which is probably the number one thing i was concerned about after this movie switched switched directors switched writers i mean it, it basically had its whole behind the scenes major crew you know uprooted and replaced you know before the production ever started but it it came together so well, it doesn't make sense how well it came together to yeah. me. Yeah, so. I mean, it was fantastic. I loved the the interplay. And I, I did want to mention Chekhov. So I think they finally got him to a really great place in this movie. Yeah. And now we have Anton Sad. Yelchin passed away this year. So is there, you have any idea like how they're going to move forward with that? Has anyone said anything? They have. Um, They have. Um, I know because they, they officially greenlit uh, Star Trek yeah. Uh, of the reboots um, over the over the weekend, and JJ Abrams did come out and say that they are not going to recast uh, Chekhov uh, just because, um, especially in this one, you really see Anton Yelchin just he did a great job taking that role and making it his own. Um, so they haven't said what they're going to do with the character. So I don't know if they're going to actually kill him off in the in the story or if they're going to just say he was put on to another ship or what but um man that yeah that whole situation is just a complete tragedy because he he really shined in this movie i think a lot more than the first two yeah and that's that's a pretty huge deal that they're not recasting Chekhov. i mean i i totally understand and i'm in support of it but that it's just such a sad thing that they had to honor two people that have passed away in this movie yeah that that are big in the star trek you know movie verse and and it's just well, maybe that'll be a, a place for um, maybe that'll be a place for Jalen. I mean, she seems to be pretty. Yeah, like, she apparently character. joined Federation. At yeah, the end so of the movie, she joined right? Federation. So. so maybe she's the the one that replaces him. I think she actually yeah. could be a good addition. I think it it might get a lot of hardcore fanboys upset, but I I, I but think there's nothing else they can do. 
Yeah. So they're going to have to do something. And I think that that will probably be a pretty He will good way surely to... be missed. That's yes, that's for absolutely. sure. And I I liked a lot of stuff he was in. Even even going to great... Fright Fright Night and Odd Thomas. I think were great. Odd movies, Thomas so. was a fantastic movie of his. It was so funny and just it's on had Netflix. A if you guys great have seen interesting it. emotional twist to it. Um, so I'd highly recommend that one. If we're doing like a recommendation of the week, go see Odd Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was a huge fan of the way that they honored Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, just the, and not only just you know literally referencing that he passed away, but just making it a part of every of all three acts of that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, starting off with uh, the Vulcans approaching Spock and letting him know that Master Spock had died, which just you know you knew something was going to happen, but you didn't know what. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, I know for myself and a lot of our Star Trek fans a real big emotional moment. Um, but then the scene with uh, Spock and McCoy on that planet um, when they're talking about uh, Ambassador Spock and you can just, you can tell that, you know, Zachary Quinto was not only acting as Spock, but you could tell that the emotion on his face was him honoring Leonard Nimoy because I know they, they became really close mm-hmm. uh, throughout the filming of the movies. Um, but the one that really, the one that really got me was the one at the end of the movie uh, when uh, Spock, uh, you know, uh, the Kelvin for Spock gets Ambassador Spock's belongings and he opens it up and then he pulls out that photo of the original cast on the bridge of the Enterprise. Um, I I did not know that was coming and, you know, it was extremely emotional. And I know, you know, I speak for a lot of other Star Trek fans who were, who have seen it and had the same, uh, same kind of reaction, but that that to me was just a great tribute to not only not only Leonard Nimoy but just the whole original cast mm-hmm. of just kind of giving that nod to them of you know we haven't seen aside from Leonard Nimoy any of the other actors on screen period since the the last from Star Trek 6 but just seeing them all together was a huge huge tribute in my mind just for me just completely won me over and why it just it, it rates so highly for me. Yeah. And I think um, it was so that really, was my biggest piece. And it was nice that they tied in that original cast and it is the 50th anniversary. I thought that was a nice tie in as well, not just for Leonard Nimoy, but just to say, Hey, you guys were like the beginning of this whole thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to chime in and I'm going to sound like a jerk at this point in time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love the Leonard Nimoy thing. Uh, you had mentioned how really cool it was in this new universe that he basically died 30 years after he was born, according to the... Yeah, cause, uh, because the, he went came back in time. Yeah. He was like only 30 yeah. years old. He's but the he same was, age he as was, Spock. Yeah, but he was 200 yeah. or, or 300 years old, however long Balkans live. The numbers live. were interesting. But, even, but his, his timeline said he was actually only alive for 30 years, even though he you know went forward and back in time. So I I thought that was really cool. Um, I, I can't, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the discussion they had about that and, and wrapping their brains around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought that one of the things that Into Darkness did wrong was trying to tie everything back to the original movies. And that's where they, they tripped up with Khan and having almost like identical lines and everything we just talked about. I could have done without the picture of the original crew. Really? I think we are so far... Go away. <laughs> I think we are so... And, and I get the emotional side of it, and where a super fan, Mike, like yourself, would really get emotional about that, and I get that. I'm, I'm more playing... I don't really have a problem with that. I'm more playing devil's advocate here. But I, at that point in time, I was like, okay, we've established this is a new crew, this is a new generation. 
we've had enough tie-ins to the to the old series. Let's let's step away. Let's start to you know we're in the third movie now. We're our own thing. You know what I'm saying? Like they they don't look anything like the original. I cast. get what you're saying. I totally so, get what you're saying. But it's not for him, for this moment. I don't think it was a tie into the old movie. I think it was just showing that Spock appreciated his time with yes. that crew for so much that he held that as a really prized possession. Right. And it's not the crew that you see on the screen. So we have to remember this is the Kelvin timeline. So this is it's the same his, people though. I know, but it's his crew. Like it, it's different and they look a little older than the people that are now. See, so, I mean, there's a suspension of disbelief there, Yes. but I think that it just showed that he was very emotional, even though Falcons don't show that emotion. He had that feeling. I'm just saying that it definitely took me out of it. And one of people's main complaints about into darkness was that they shoehorned Spock into the second movie and they should have just left him out. Um, I heard a lot of fanboys say that. So to say that that was messed up, but this is okay, I think is a little hypocritical. I think they did shoehorn Spock into the second movie. He's like, oh yeah, I know Khan. He's a bad guy. This this yeah. felt a little bit more organic, and they did have to say that his former self died. He, he didn't... It wasn't a throwaway line for him. It was more meaningful, I think. Yeah, but, I think within the darkness, you know, Spock definitely was shoehorned in, although it was great to see him on you know on screen one, one last time. You know, having him, having Spock phone a friend and get the cheat code for how to beat Khan, I thought was a little, <laughs> was a little silly. Um, you know, having, you know, Vulcan FaceTime or whatever. But, you know, this, the photo at the end, I thought was, you know, like I said, I thought it was great. But I also think it was a good way to kind of close the book on the original cast. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, you know, unless they really, sh- you know, shock us, I don't think, you know, Shatner or, you know, George Takei are going to uh, be in any of these new films, but I think it was a great way to kind of close the book on the original cast, especially now that we know there's a fourth film coming, yeah. um, which kind of surprised me that they've already announced that they're going to have Chris Hemsworth back as a uh, Kirk's mm-hmm. dad. Yep. Um, they did make that announcement, okay. but just, I think know, it's going to vote time for the original <laughs> crew, have a great moment to kind of pay that final tribute. And now we're off on the, with the adventures of the enterprise a, yeah. So I, I think on that note, little, little side tangent, when I read that, I can see very easily it being about time travel, which is kind of ironic when you think it's the fourth movie. Um, but maybe he, there's some time travel involved and maybe like Kirk and his son actually team up to defeat whatever's going on. That was a thought that I had that would kind of be cool. Um, I could see them going maybe along those lines. Uh, like you said, it's ironic that third movie always blows up the enterprise. Um, you know, the only thing we need in the fourth movie, if there's time travel is a bunch of whales. So, <laughs> well, which, which Star Trek movie had Picard and Kirk generations together? Generations. So, I mean, they could pull something like that's, that. That's, that's what, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I but, agree. Yeah. So I think that wraps up our spoiler cast. So I think we had a lot of good stuff on that. I, I actually have one other thing I want to get oh my goodness, Mike's Joe. take on. Oh, well, I know we're, <laughs> I'm we're long. Kidding. I'm just this kidding. Is one of the longest fun. reviews we've ever done, but it's this fun. is good stuff. We're, we're, this is, it is good stuff. This is gold. <laughs> this is this is <laughs> podcast gold. Nerd gold. Okay. <laughs> but I'm only bringing this up because you Nerd mentioned credits. it. Uh, I'm only bringing this up because you mentioned it, but I want to get your take as a super fan. You mentioned um, Sulu's husband. What do you what do you feel about that change in his character? And and one of the reasons I, I asked this is because Sulu himself, George Takai, has come out and said he doesn't agree with it. So I wanted to get your take on it because he's getting some flack for that. 
So yeah, for for me, um, and I can I can kind of see where he's coming from, but I can also see where you know Simon Pegg, Zachary Quinto, and John Cho are coming from. Um, I'm personally fine with it. I think it's great. Um, in in the original series, you know, all of the all of the cast or all the characters kind of got paired up with, or at least tried to get paired up with someone of the opposite sex. But Sulu never really got paired up with anyone. Right. And they never really said, you know, you know, if he was gay or if he was straight. It just it was never addressed. The only time that we knew Sulu had something going on was in Generations when you meet. Uh, his daughter, Demora, on as the helmsman of the Enterprise B. Oh, I don't even remember and, that. And they, you know, Kirk and uh, Chekhov are talking to one another, and all Kirk says is, when did he find time to start a family? He didn't say, when did he get married, you know, or anything mm. like that. He just said, when did he have time to start a family? So I think if you really read into it deeply, it was kind of left ambiguous. And I, I, can, I can understand where George Takei would be upset about it, saying that that's not what, Gene wanted anything like that, but I think in today's age, you know, back in the '60s, Star Trek was known for breaking ground with um, having uh, an African American on the bridge, yeah, in a position of power, having an right. Russian on the bridge in a position of power in the middle of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. You know, having people from all corners of the earth on, you know, back in the '60s is something that was kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Something like this of having a, having a gay gay character, um, I think, is long overdue. When it comes to Star Trek and something I'm glad they did. I'm also glad that they also I'm glad they didn't create another character and make that the gay character. Because that would have felt like something checking a box that and, on, and, a, on a scorecard of like, we need to have a gay character now, so here's this person. And there um, are there are too many T V shows and movies I think that actually do that nowadays, and that's one of the things that actually bothers me with current T V or movies, is it feels like they're checking a box and then you know, the gay character is the first person to die that season or something like that as well, which feels extra, you know, extra bad for that character and that they're just kind of a throwaway. But I thought this was unique because because it was ironically, they said it was in honor of George Takai being openly gay himself, but he didn't agree with it because he did not think that it was in Gene Roddenberry's original vision of the character for him to be openly gay. And I can I can actually understand where he's coming from there and the the flip side of that too is that he said that he wishes they would have just created another character. So it's funny for you to say that. I can see both sides of it. So. I can see both sides of the argument, but I feel like since what you said, Mike, there was really no backstory. It's not like they're really changing the canon. It was a passing moment. They're just maybe adding to it. Yeah. So I think I can see both sides of the argument. It worked fine for me. There, I mean, there wasn't a lot of explanation or detail. It was just kind of a few moments throughout the movie, but you got yeah. the idea, and I think it was handled very well. And I think they did a great job with it. So, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't. It definitely didn't like take away from. It didn't bother me at, at all. But I mean, as a Star Trek super fan, I was wondering if that that changed things for you and and, and how you your opinion of it was. So they they did it. They did it so organically and so well. Um, you know, and, and nothing gratuitous about it at all. It was just yeah, it was a tiny you know, moment. You, you, all you saw was a wedding ring on his finger with a picture of a little girl, and then you see him walking off arm in arm with a with this husband and their daughter. So it was, I think, mm-hmm. it's just a really beautiful moment. And I, I something long, that, long overdue in Star Trek. I like that there was also a tie to Yorktown with his family being there because I don't think it would have been as emotional if there hadn't been some family member on that space station. Yeah, so. yeah. All right, so let's cool. jump over to what's next for Star Trek. So we have the T 
teaser came out for the new TV show Star Trek Discovery, which Ooh. is basically just the ship coming out of um, like it's dock. The dock, yeah. but it, yeah, it looks like it, an asteroid or something. Okay, Mike, have you seen Galaxy Quest? <laughs> yeah, yes, I it have. It reminded me so much of the scene where the we were taking the ship out of the space station. And the guy like pulls it over and it, like screeches the side. The only thing missing was it hitting the side. It was basically it felt shot for shot from Galaxy Quest. Um, she compares everything Star Trek to Galaxy I Quest, love not the other way around. Galaxy Quest is one of the best Star Trek movies that's ever been made. It you know, is. Oh my gosh! Like you two are like peas in a pod. It's great. I watch it at least <laughs> at least once a year. She but it said that. Me. She has said that for the past ten years that Galaxy Quest it is. is one of the best Star Trek it's movies. It's great, ever. but it. Just I love it. Coming out like the slow motion coming out of the dock just reminding me so much of that scene from Galaxy Quest. Um, so did the first five minutes of Star Trek Beyond reminded me of Galaxy Quest actually with the little animals, yeah. little creatures. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, but I think it's it's interesting. We're going on a new ship. It looks kind of cool. Um, so what what do you notice just from um, the ship view and what you've heard about? I didn't the, see this. The new, so the ship itself um, is an, it's a very interesting design. Um, in the in the history of Star Trek, there was a couple of attempts to make the first Star Trek movie back in the seventies, and there was a project called Star Trek: Planet of the Titans, which was the first uh, attempt at making a Star Trek movie. And one of the things uh, I think the guy's name is Ralph McQuarrie. He des- he basically did a design of a complete refit of the Enterprise for this movie, and it the Discovery looks a lot like this. Um, ship, which they asked uh, Brian Fuller, who's the showrunner, about it, and he even said that you know legally he can't really say much about it right now because apparently they had to throw this trailer together in three weeks. So oh, wow. that's why if you go and watch it, the, wow. the, the CGI looks a little rough um, in some areas because they they literally had to throw it together in a couple of weeks to have something for Comic Con. You mean it's um, not a model this but, big? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but it's um it's it's got my interest. Um, they've definitely said it's going to take place in the Prime timeline uh so, but they haven't said when um i know there's been a lot of what timeline theories the as to prime. when in the timeline so like the place. original timeline right not the kelvin timeline i thought it was the kelvin timeline i thought it was the kelvin timeline i thought it was going to take place in the new jj abrams universe no it's it's apparently going to take place in the prime timeline wow okay. um and that's probably for a couple of reasons uh mainly because with the way star trek's kind of divided up between paramount and cbs paramount's got the movie rights cbs has the tv rights and since the Kelvinverse has kind of been exclusive to the movies, and this is a CBS show, that makes sense that they're staying in the No, that makes, that makes total sense. I was concerned when they said it was going to take place in the Kelvin timeline. I thought people would yeah. get way too confused. So, Yeah, so I, you know, the original rumors was this was going to take place sometime after, you know, when start, the events of Star Trek VI and the start of Star Trek Next Generation, but apparently that is not the case. So, um, so all when we is have it? is kind of a ship and a registry number and a name. Um, that looks kind of interesting, and I know they'll probably reveal a whole lot more with the the big Star Trek Las Vegas convention coming up here in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's right. Um, and then there's an, another big Star Trek convention coming up in September, uh, which is the first one they're doing in New York. It's called, I think, Mission New York. So for those of you who are in the New York area, go check that out because I wish I could. Um, <laughs> but I know they're they're definitely um, it's it's going to be interesting because this is going to be exclusive to the CBS All Access. Uh, streaming platform, which is kind of like CBS's version of Netflix. They are going to show the the pilot episode on That's CBS right. itself, 
But after that, all the entire show is going to be exclusive to CBS All Access. That's weird. Um, we also know it's going to be 13, uh, 13 episode seasons. Uh, and uh, the way Brian Fuller said, it's going to be like chapters in a book. So it's not yeah. going to be as episodic as Star Trek series have been before. So it's, it's going to be interesting. We haven't had Star Trek on TV in 11 years now. Um, and having kind of a uh, still won't kind be. of a new medium <laughs> to explore with the, you know the streaming services is something that you know Star Trek's done in the past when they were the first you know big syndicated show to make it big and prove that uh, TV syndication is something that can be you know successful. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be interesting. I know they've uh, they've got a lot of uh, rumors floating around about this one. Um, the one that I've kind of caught interest in is the fact that uh, there's rumors. Uh, I think it's uh, Angela Bassett might be the captain of the ship. Um, I did watch part of that panel that you're talking about, and I think they definitely alluded to it being um, continuing to push boundaries. And they said they were maybe fashioning it after um, the first black woman in space. Like she was a big fan of the shows and she had a lot in common with um, Jean-Luc Picard's character. Um, So I think that they're thinking about doing that. I don't think there's been any casting yet, so it's all rumor right now, but they're kind of piecing together a whole bunch of sound bites to kind of figure out where it's going to go. I'm fine with that. What's her name from Voyager is one of my favorite captains. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love, what's her name? Kate McGrew? Oh, Kate McGrew? Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. pretty cool. She's yeah. Pretty cool. I, I loved her. She was cool. So Angela Bassett. Oh, I like that. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. I like her. So yeah, I'm, She's a fantastic actor and I think she would bring something to Star Trek that we've never really seen before and just, you know, she's, she'd be great. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting next couple of months when they start announcing more about the show. But the fact that we actually have a name now is I'm, I like the name. Kind of goes back to what Star Trek's all about. And that, that is literally Discovery. And that's, hey, what we've got to, that's what they've named the show now. Mm-hmm. So when is it premiering? Is it premiering in the fall on CBS All Access? said January 2017. January. Okay, so I'm going to call BS right now. I'm going to make a prediction. I'm calling BS on CBS's part. They're going to premiere this thing online. And then when they got a lull in the summer, depending on how popular it is online, they're going to push this thing to their summer programming if it's only 13 episodes. I'm they very well it. could. I'm calling it right now. They very well. I hope so. I mean, it just depends because if they're going to stick to the same format they would for television, that's fine and dandy. But if they pull a Netflix where like some episodes are 53 minutes, some episodes are 108 minutes, it's going to be not 108, 68 minutes. It's going to be hard to keep into a timeline. So. I think that'll be a tell, though, is if they come out and they're all 45 minutes long, then they're preparing this thing for commercials yeah. I and think television. it'll eventually see television, but yes. maybe if you have the all-access, you get early. I think they're trying to start their, their whole Netflix thing. CBS is known for holding out and being extremely stingy every year when it comes to its contract renewals with Dish TV and Direct TV. They're at the forefront of the people that are always holding out for more money. They're They're... they're and and rightfully so. I mean, they're they've got they're the biggest num- numbers number one, yeah. on on any network. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I think that they you know, Les Moonves has said that they really want to become you know big in the online space and that they want to use Star Trek as kind of their their prop up for CBS All Access because I think they're also doing a spinoff of The Good Wife as a CBS All Access exclusive. Yeah, uh, next year. So you know they're going to start doing content for it in addition to using their back catalog but it'll you know i i think they're going to do everything they can to keep it exclusive to cbs all access so they can keep that 
you know, that $6 a month revenue stream coming in. Well, we'll see. All right. I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I just want to thank Mike so much for being here and contributing. We definitely want to have you back because you have a lot of nerdy knowledge that we love. Also a gamer, right? (laughs) Yeah. Not as much as I'd like to be, but I do play every now and then. What platform do you play? PlayStation? Um, I'm a Nintendo guy, so I kind of uh, have all things Nintendo, but I've also got a... I need to get kind of current because I've still got a PS3 and a 360 sitting behind me, but um, I'm a hardcore, unapologetic Nintendo fanboy. So are you excited about the new NX rumor that came out today? Have you heard um, this? I was working, so I must have missed this one. What, what's the rumor? Well, we'll have to talk about it after the podcast, but apparently it's solely a portable with cartridges that plugs into the TV when you're not taking it out and about. Interesting. That you can plug uh, controllers into or, or the controllers detach from it or something like that. So, Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit after the podcast. So it's not a gaming podcast, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have to get you on. for we're, we're planning on doing a gaming podcast in the future, solely gaming. Um, we're going to do that with uh, one of the local guys up here who's big into game design. Uh, so I'll have to let you know about that, and maybe we can we can all get on and, and, and do that as well yeah so where fun. where can people follow you on on twitter and twitter if you want to hear about me screaming about star trek professional wrestling uh my sports teams that i follow uh <laughs> you can follow me at trekkie bogle cool cool excellent well if you want to look up more about our podcast check out pausepointspodcast.com there you can find links to our facebook page and our twitter at pause underscore points so yeah you can also uh, check us out on patreon as well uh, we always uh, love to have your guys' support there. Um, like we always say, we're trying to take this as far as we can. So check us out there. We'll be premiering probably some exclusive content soon when we start doing the video stuff. So Yeah, so thanks for tuning in, and keep it paused right here for more on entertainment. And movies. Entertainment is movies. And TV. Entertainment, and vi- movies, and television, <laughs> video games. Keep it paused right here. Bye.